Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Today is Monday, February 20th. It is President's Day, and most importantly, we're celebrating George Washington's birthday, which was the 22nd of February. And actually, this holiday really used to celebrate George Washington and everything he did. You know, the greatest figure in American history, uh, probably most would say that. For everything that he did and, and everything he resisted, you know, he resisted becoming a king or, you know, serving lots of terms as, as the president because he really wanted to make this country so great by allowing it to be, uh, you know, governed for the people and by the people. So, again, we really should be celebrating George Washington today, Josh, George Washington, but as with most things in America... Uh, everything is socialized, so we got to celebrate all the presidents today, including Joe Biden. Um, you know, we're not allowed to just celebrate George Washington. We have to include everybody. Uh, but that's America today, and it's uh, fairly comical. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, that's my little rant on that. So we could go back and, and continue to honor George Washington today uh, for his birthday and really what this holiday was was really designed for. So again, uh, February 20th, this is your host, Brian Nicolason. Welcome to the Freedom and Wealth Podcast. Uh, sorry, it's been a little while. I've been incredibly busy this year. There's been a lot of different things happening on the market side that we're dealing with for our clients in our portfolios. Plus, we had just have an overwhelming amount of new clients coming in uh, because I think we're doing a really good job understanding a fairly unique uh, point in time. And so I want to recap today what's been going on in February. The last podcast was at the very end of January. So again, it's been about 23 days or something. I tried to do this every 14 days, every two weeks, but it does sometimes get pushed out. I promise you I'm going to continue to work to do this a little bit more often so that we don't have to cover so much in every podcast. But this is, I think, going to be a really interesting podcast <clears throat> You know, for those who want to geek out a little bit on the economic side of things on the Federal Reserve and been what's really been going on you know in the market. So for those who are really interested in the dynamics and and the the back end of what's happening, I think this will be really interesting. So we talked in the last podcast a lot about the Federal Reserve and their rhetoric that says, hey, we're going to have a terminal rate above 5%. So they're going to keep raising interest rates until it's above 5% in order to tackle this inflation. And then the bond market at the time of our last podcast, you know, three weeks ago, the bond market was, I think the 10 year, I don't know, was it like, uh, I don't even know what the 10 year, but let's just talk about the two year. The two year was at 4.1. I don't want to quote anything wrong in the 10 year. But again, the two year yield on a U.S government treasury was about 4.1%. And the Fed, again, saying they're going over 5%. So there's this discrepancy, right? Like a 90 basis point discrepancy between what the bond market is saying the Fed's going to do and what the Fed is going to do. Because generally, the Fed is follows the two-year. So the two-year gives a signal to the Fed about where to raise rates. And so the Fed's basically saying, hey, don't listen to the two-year. We're going higher than five. The bond market saying, hey, don't listen to the Fed. They're never going to get above five. Uh, you know, it's going to be more like 4.1. So there was this large discrepancy. And then we had a few things that happened between last podcast and this podcast that brought 
the Federal Reserve and the bond market together. And that's exactly what I said on the last podcast is these two things, these these the traders, right, the bond market itself and the Fed, they have to come closer. And so either the Fed's going to back off the hawkish rhetoric or the bond market's going to start pricing in higher interest rates. But one of the two is going to happen or maybe it's a blend. Well, it turns out it was all the bond market had to catch up with the Fed. And we've been seeing that we had a hotter than expected CPI came out for the month of January. CPI was up 0.5%. Core was 0.4%. And on the services side, there was really no budging in inflation. Inflation is as hot as it ever has been from a services perspective. You know, on the good side, you had a reduction in medical services costs as well as used cars costs. So these two items really brought down the number. But if it wasn't for a decrease in the cost of medical services, which you really can't count on, medical services go up every single year, that probably was some type of glitch in the calculation. Uh, by the way, they changed the calculation as well in January. So lots of um, technical ways that this number got pushed down. And with all those that downward pressure, it was still higher than expected. And that was not good for the transitory inflation camp, which is basically the bulls in the stock market. If you're a bull today, it's because you believe that inflation was transitory and that the definition of transitory was just a little bit longer than what you said in, in 2021. So again, we get this hot CPI print, which again, to me, is one is the very beginning of, of what we're going to see is many, many more CPI prints that are beating expectation on the high side. And then right after that, we get a really hot PPI. And this is the real problem because the PPI is your producer prices. And so on the good side of PPI, the PPI was up 0.7. That followed a 0.2 and a 0.3 for December and November, respectively. So now we all of a sudden, when we just thought we were in the clear, goods inflation was down, all we got to do is take care of services inflation. All of a sudden, the goods costs, at least on the preliminary side, right, because the producers' costs go up first and they pass it on to the consumers, the producer prices are popping back up on the goods side. So now we got this problem where we've got inflation coming down the pipe, okay? So that's basically what happened. So you had these two big bumps and all of a sudden the bond market gets religion and starts pricing in some higher interest rates. And now if you look at the way the bond market is priced, May and June are both in play for rate hikes. You've had multiple Fed presidents coming out saying they, they voted for 50 basis points instead of 25 and that nobody should rule out 50 basis points. So now we're getting a lot more hawkish on the Fed side and the bond market starting to listen. The bond market is starting to price in a little bit more rate hikes than they were at the time of our last podcast. So again, everything we're, we've been talking about is, you know, we've got these disconnects in the marketplace and over time, these things work out. And so you're seeing, again, the bond market start to bring yields up to meet what the Federal Reserve has been saying all along. And so, you know, the, the, the banter going back and forth is don't fight the Fed or don't fight the tape. The tape is telling you inflation's pretty much done and that the Fed's pretty much done, but the Fed is saying differently. And it looks like don't fight the Fed one, at least over the last three weeks. And so the bond market's now listening to the Fed. Rates are picking back up. So the problem though, okay, is that the stock market is still out of balance, right? Because even though you had a rise in yields, theoretically, the stock market should have went down, especially the most highest multiple, highest growthy names in the tech sector should have went down. And in January and February, the tech sector has done the best out of all the sectors, 
right? So it's outperforming all the more conservative investments uh, that are traditionally, uh, you know, good in a time like this and a rising interest rate pre-recessionary environment. You know, healthcare and staples and energy should do well, and tech and the most high, you know, the most high growth companies should do worse. And that's the exact opposite of what happened. All right, so it's a little bit odd, right? Again, we're, we're, we're trying to see things come into balance over time to meet what we see in the real economy. And it doesn't always happen in a straight line. But again, we got a big step forward with the, with the bond market starting to come into line with the Fed. The stock market is still a little bit out of whack. And I want to try and answer why that's happening, right? Like, why is the stock market rallying if the macro environment is deteriorating in the way that we're saying the inflationary environment's a real problem. It's higher than expected. It's not going away like the Fed hoped. They're tightening and their rate hikes are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is taking inflation back down to their 2% target. So we've got all these issues and yet the stock market seems to be rallying ahead. Now, by the way, I want to put this all back in context. We're still outperforming the market by being out of the market uh, last year. You know, we avoided such a decline that even these little pickups that we're seeing in 2023 are doing nothing to make to to close the gap of where our portfolios did compared to the overall market. But I, again, I do want to try and answer this question and then work together to figure out whether or not this rally is sustainable and whether or not we should be very constructive on the equity markets or should we be treating this as a tactical rally that we try to make some money in the interim, knowing that the more likely destination for the stock market is down rather than up. And so that is the place that, again, we're going to land at the end of this podcast, that that is is what we believe. We do believe this is just a bear market rally. But I want to talk about why it's been such a strong bear market rally. And there's three things that I want to talk to. So the first is a note that came out of Citigroup that I thought was really interesting. And they called it the missing trillion dollars. Um Basically, there's an extra trillion dollars in liquidity going into the U.S. Uh, markets that nobody's really talking about, right? So the Fed dropped the balance sheet by $500 billion, right? They sold off or, or let roll off the balance sheet $500 billion worth of assets, treasuries, and mortgage-backed securities. And at the same time, they raised, base, they raised the interest rates by 450 basis points. So that's a whole lot of tightening, and it really should have done a lot of wreaked a lot of havoc in the market historically if that ever happened. But it really hasn't, right? Like we haven't seen a lot of problems. In fact, you know, credit spreads are super tight. Um, you know, there's no liquidity issues. So what's going on here? Well, there's a few things that are going on. So there's been a decline in our government's deposits into the European Central Bank. At the same time, there's been surges in reserves into the United you know, into US dollars by the Japanese Central Bank and the People's Bank of China. Collectively, it's a trillion dollars in excess liquidity. So net positive, there's been a net positive $500 billion added into the marketplace, into into the US dollar liquidity. So even though we've decreased the balance sheet by 500 billion, these other factors, right? These technical factors coming from global forces have pushed an extra trillion dollars in. So there's a net positive gain in liquidity. So that might start to answer the question as to, you know, why there's this cushion um, in the marketplace. The other thing that really has caused a, a pretty significant cushion against market turmoil is the fact that, you know, the central banks have these big balance sheets now, right? This was never 
a common thing back, you know, before quantitative easing was a big part of central bank policy starting after 08. Prior to that, central bank operated on a limited reserve system. They didn't keep massive balance sheets. But now that they have these massive balance sheets and they're holding tons of assets, bonds, corporate bonds, uh, government bonds, mortgages, they're holding all these assets, right? As the Fed raised interest rates, right? Again, bond prices and interest rates move inversely. So if you're a big bond holder, mortgage holder, debt instrument holder, and interest rates go up 450 basis points, you have huge losses. So the government has huge, huge mark-to-market losses on their balance sheet. And all these central banks do, the Japanese Central Bank, the European Central Bank, but particularly the, the United States Federal Federal Reserve, they have huge, huge losses on these balance sheets. At the same time, all the debtors, right, the corporations, the municipalities, the consumers that, that got mortgages at 2%, right, everybody that refinanced all their debt and borrowed a ton of money at 2% interest, as rates went up, they have these huge mark-to-market gains on their liability side of their balance sheet. So the corporations, the municipalities, the individuals had this huge net positive, okay? And the Federal Reserve, the holder of all this debt, they have a huge net negative, okay? But those losses are not part of the marketplace. They're government losses. So in, in an effort, what we did is we socialized losses. See, prior to these large balance sheets, somebody else would have held it. So if, more, if, if you had a mortgage at 2%, and rates went up. Well, if the bank held your mortgage and didn't sell it off in a mortgage-backed security to the Federal Reserve, if they held that mortgage, then the bank would have losses, right? Or, uh, you know, a corporate bond, for instance. If a corporation financed a bunch of debt at 2% and then rates went up, well, the holder of those corporate bonds uh, would, would be stuck with the losses. And so you'd have an equal amount of losses in the marketplace as you would have gains. But today, we only have the gains. We only have the net positives and all the net negatives have been socialized onto the government balance sheet and they don't care about losses. So what you end up having is this massive wealth effect, right? Because you only have gains and you don't have any losses. So there's a huge wealth effect to that. You know, people that are living in their houses with 2% mortgage rates, hey, I'm going to stay in the house. I'm going to, you know, why don't I fix up the house, right? So they're going to get all these positives going on, all this excess you know, consumption and all this net positive feeling, the wealth effect, if you will, because everybody's got gains. Nobody has losses. And that's that's very unique to this point in time versus any other point in time. Um, so I think that's that's created some type of cushion as well, again, to absorb some of the downside of these, these big rate hikes and all the losses is because nobody's feeling the losses, right? The majority of that is on the central bank's balance sheet. The last thing really is, is that the stock market is trying to look through all of the problems, right? So if the, if the Fed says they're going to raise rates another 50 basis points higher than they originally said, well, the stock market says, well, yeah, you could raise rates, but they're going to be the first ones you cut. So we're not really worried about that, right? So it's a, the stock market is trying to look through the rate hikes. Um, and at the same time, again, because of everything we just talked about, well, actually a little bit differently, because you've had such a refinancing frenzy leading up to this rate hiking schedule, right? I mean, you had two, three years of 0% interest. If you didn't refinance your mortgage, unless you were on the back half where you didn't care about interest, you know, back half of the AM schedule, if you had a regular mortgage, big 30-year mortgage, if you didn't refinance, you missed the boat. 
If you were a corporation or a municipality and you didn't refinance, again, you missed the boat. Most people got on the boat. Like most people refinanced all their debt, right? And so a lot of this refinancing doesn't have to happen until 2024, 2025. So we're a little ways out to the big refinancing that has to happen. And so these rate hikes really haven't had that negative impact. You haven't had those big financial stresses. You haven't had credit incidents. You haven't had you know, a drop in unemployment or a raise in unemployment. You haven't had chapter 11 bankruptcies you know, on the corporate side. So you're not having any of these big issues. And again, the, the, the industries that mo- usually historically would be at most at risk, like financial institutions, they don't have these problems. Why? Because they socialize the losses. The banks don't hold the mortgages. They sold the mortgages off, right? So the, the central banks own so many of these assets that the financials are strong. You know, energy companies historically struggle in these scenarios. They're doing great, right? So you have, again, these very odd things happening that have insulated the market from really feeling the effects of all this Fed tightening, which has have been record setting, right? Don't get us wrong. I mean, the Fed has set records with the pace of the rate hikes, <clears throat> with a massive amount of, of reduction in their balance sheet. We've never been here before, and yet it's not having the effect that anybody thought it would. And the stock market is trying to see through it. Stock market is trying to go up in the face of it. And these are the reasons why, because you have these cushions in place. So again, we talked about three reasons why the market is remaining resilient. You've got a net $500 billion increase in liquidity, right? Even though you think that we're pulling liquidity out of the system, there's this extra liquidity coming into the system. And and you got weak global markets. So there's a, there's a push to get capital into the United States. You have the wealth effect from a central bank socializing losses on all these debt instruments as rate hikes, you know, as, as interest rates climb. And then you had this refinancing frenzy that occurred in 2020 and 2021. And so you had this wonderful opportunity for everybody to, to push out the debt, uh, their own debt, so that they don't have to deal with these rate hikes. So again, you've had all these insulations. The question is, how long can this go? right? Can these factors override the overall weakness caused by Fed tightening, right? Like, you know, the Fed tightening does have an impact on the demand side. It crushes consumption and investment and net exports. The question is, can all these cushions we just talked about offset that? I don't know, right? I don't think anybody does. And so making a linear bet on one side or the other saying, hey, you know, there's no way uh, that these cushions are strong enough, you know, to help with the Fed tightening, and so that the market's going to fall apart. Or saying, "Hey, these cushions are completely strong enough; the market's going to be fine." Making one linear bet either direction is not a good idea. <laughs> so, unfortunately, you have to be a bit reactionary, and I know that's not really how you want to be an investor. But again, these times are very bizarre. Like you, you've never been through this, and so nobody knows, and it's. Evident if you look at the the Wall Street outlook, you got half the analysts saying the market's going to go down, half of them saying it's going to five thousand. So you have this wide consensus. Nobody really knows. Nobody's seen any of these factors come together. And so again, you have to be a bit reactionary. You have to be a little bit tactical. You know, you can't go all in on a tech boom early part of the year because that really doesn't make sense, right? So if you're underperforming the markets because you're a good investor right now, and if you're 
a trader, okay, maybe you're buying all tech companies and, and riding the wave, but that wave's going to come crashing down. So I think you just have to be fairly diversified, um, very careful, you know, understand certain technical levels are important right now. And it's a trader's market, right? Uh, unfortunately. So uh, again, question is, right? Can all of these factors that we talked about, can they stop? Can they give us a soft landing, right? Generally, and again, it's hard to make a linear bet one way or the other, but if I had to, I would say no. I would say the fact is the consumer is breaking from inflation, not from the Fed tightening. And that's, to me, the realization that that makes it all make sense. Again, I don't care what the Fed does. I don't care if you know interest rates are going up. That doesn't affect a lot of people, right? Again, if you have a mortgage, you refinance. You got a 30-year mortgage at 3%. Right, you, you know, credit cards. Oh, whoop de doo! They went from eighteen percent to twenty five percent. You know, if you have a high interest rate credit card, what's another couple percentages on the interest rate? Right, you're screwed no matter what. So, again, it's not the tightening, it's not the rate hikes that are causing the problems here. The problem is inflation. Inflation, unless it goes negative, you're going to have continued weakening on the consumer side until all these cushions go away. And they are going away. The Japanese Central Bank, the People's Bank of China, all those reserve increases have pretty much come to a complete stop, right? So now the tightening that's existing is going to directly start impacting the market. So we've already made it through that cushion, right? We wore out that seat cushion and, you know, we're starting to get towards the bottom here of that. Um, so again, the cushions are starting to fall apart. And so it's at the end of the day, it's just a timing thing. The cushions will all go away right? The injection of liquidity by other central banks around the world. Um, the refinancing eventually will have to happen, right? Like these low interest rates, people aren't locked in forever, right? So they are going to refinance. It's like 2024, 2025. Um, and, you know, unemployment will begin to pick up because it doesn't matter how long this takes. The consumer is permanently disabled, okay? You had a 40% by all accounts, 40%. Forget about what the government says. Government says it was a 9% cost of increase, cost of living increase. Screw that. The cost of living was like 15 to 20% increase. So you've had basically two years of 15 to 20% increases. You're talking 30, 40% increase in the cost of living. It doesn't matter unless inflation is negative for a series of years, which it will never be, okay? Then you are going to have a consumer that's permanently disabled. They went through a 40% cost of living increase and maybe they got a 3% you know, raise. Well, that's going to take 10 years to catch up and it's not like inflation's slowing. Right? I mean, it's picking up still. It's still 6.5%. So inflation is only going to get worse. The consumer is only going to get weaker and the recession is going to make it worse because recession is actually inflationary. Everybody thinks in recession is non, it's deflationary event. No, yes, it crushes demand, but it also crushes supply. So a recession is is inflationary as well. And the stock market, in essence, is probably going to be range bound because of the consumer and corporate earnings um, until the whole thing collapses. And then we'll probably take out the lows. Um, and you know, that's the argument for having more debt in a portfolio than equities, because equities are in this weird range bound situation where 
you know, everything is deteriorating very slowly. Um, it's not crashing, but at the same time, the only thing that can push the market up is multiple expansion and you can't really expand multiples forever. So you're in this weird range bound situation until the whole thing collapses. I don't know how long that's going to take, but again, it's going to happen because the, the consumer is tapping out. They have the highest debt levels, you know, credit card debt ever. The, the highest increase in credit card levels was fourth quarter ever. Um, savings is plummeting to new lows. Uh, so the consumer is breaking and the cost of living is increasing above the 40% that we all just absorbed. Um, and so they're going to tap out eventually. And at the same time, these cushions are all set to expire, right? There's going to be a drop in the amount of liquidity injected. Um, refinancing will start to happen. And so again, the equity investment seems to be quite tough, right? And if you took a 25% loss last year and you're trying to recover a 25% loss, I think you're really in a crappy position. If you were able to avoid most of the losses, which we did in our portfolios, we have a little bit more leverage on this where we can be a little bit tactical in the equity markets. But again, it's purely a trader's market. Um, and you know we're starting to introduce more debt into our portfolio, right? Starting to buy bonds because, again, there's a big argument that says you actually can do better buying buying debt in your portfolio uh, where we are with, with the way yields are than you could be in an equity portfolio. Um, I think, you know, again, that remains to be seen, but I think you start to have to really bet on all the horses here. Um, and that's going to be the way that you maneuver what seems to be a very confusing market, right? One that doesn't know what it wants to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's lots of opportunities. The real opportunity is the real recession. The real recession will happen. The corporate earnings will fall off the face of the earth because the consumer is going to tap out. But these cushions are making things a bit more complicated and it might just push our timing out. Uh, but again, it's a wonderful time to be an investor. It's a wonderful time to be a pre-retiree looking at maybe one last pop that could be a wonderful opportunity to grow assets. So please, if you're not a client of ours, come to our website, go to freedomandwealthusa.com, put in some information. We'll give you a call. We'll build you a financial plan, including your tax planning. We'll look at your investment portfolio and kind of go through how we do things, how we manage assets. Um, again, I think we're, we're in an unbelievable position to take advantage of what's still a very dislocated market, okay? Uh, so again, thank you for listening. Please check us out, share it with friends, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Cheers. The information on this podcast is educational in nature and is not intended to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, or other purpose. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of subjects discussed. The information provided should not be considered tax or legal advice. Discussions and answers to questions do not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice and is limited to the dissemination of general information and may not be suitable for members of the listening audience. It should not be construed by any consumer as solicitation to affect or attempt to affect transactions in securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of advisory services offered through Nicolaisen Wealth Partners Incorporated. 
Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should always seek advice from a financial, insurance, legal, or tax professional that takes into account all the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation.